Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio, where we learn about the power, principles, and practices of sharing information visually. Hello, my name is Gwendolyn Gowsworth, and I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. Thank you for tuning in. We're really happy you did. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of how visuality allows us to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work, and we do that through visual devices and visual systems. We embed our intelligence. We install the details of our current level of enterprise excellence, even if we're not quite as excellent as we wish we would be or as we know we will be. Whether we work in a factory, a hospital, office, open pit mine, visuality shares information. It is the language of your operations. And why do we do it? We do it for the stunning bottom line results, improvement in safety, cost, quality, productivity, on-time delivery, all your KPIs. And we do it also for the splendid cultural alignment for a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels, not just operators, not just maintenance, not just planning, but the C-suite as well, and marketing, and purchasing, and all of us, all of us. And we do it so we enjoy ourselves at work. We flow. We become heroes at our work, and to that I say wonderful. So welcome. Today, we are going to look at, we'll see if we can get through it, the remaining doorways in our 10-doorway model. We've been doing this now since pretty much middle, I would say, the last seven or eight shows, walking through the doorways of what I call my 10-doorway model, which is the model for creating a workforce of visual thinkers. Again, not just operators, but Everyone, And we do this through this model because it segments the categories of visual function or the methodologies and assigns them to, links them to specific organizational groups or levels, departments. And we started, as you remember, with doorway one, visual order, visual Um, I beg your pardon, (laughs) visual order, visual inventiveness, the visual wear, a very highly amplified form of 5S, which I think I spent about five shows on that alone, and we're going to go in much more detail as soon as we finish the model. And Doorway 2, which is visual standards, how do you publish accurate, complete, and timely specifications and SOPs so that they are available visually. And Doorway 3, which is visual displays and production control boards for your supervisors and your managers. How can they capture the when, the what, the where for their own work? And Doorway number 4 is what we did last week, and that was visual leadership. It has three components. We begin with visual metrics or visual measurement systems, visual problem solving in order to change those metrics, and visual hotion the leadership part for the executive. This is owned by executives and their direct reports, and that's doorway four. 
So we have in all 10 doorways, so we have six to go, and we're going to scan them. We're going to today cover visual pull systems, beginning with visual controls, and I'll give you a scan of that, and then we'll move to doorway number six, which is visual guarantees. That's our quality doorway, our pokey oak doorway. If we can get beyond that, we will, which will be visual machine, and then doorway number, that's doorway number seven. Doorway number eight is visual lean office. Doorway number nine is the macro team, and doorway number 10 is a trans-enterprise multi-site approach for driving visuality and driving visual outcomes through a principle-based enterprise-wide model. And we'll touch upon that. This will be enough of a scan to give you more. But frankly, I want to move on to some of the other topic areas and then delve into these various doorways in depth in their various dimensions, which are multiple. So let me clear up a couple of things uh, if you are just tuning in to this march through the doorways, and that is they are not sequential. You do not need to begin with doorway one in order to engage visuality for your enterprise. You do an assessment. You assess where you need to build the power of information and the accessibility of information in your organization. We do assessments, and I'll walk you through our assessment model sometime in the next year. Uh, and it's, it is based on the 10 doorways and looking for certain signposts to tell you whether you have strength or not. But it's about the distribution of power. It is about the power of information and information sharing, and you look for the weak links you match those weak links with the outcomes that you that you have identified mean growth for your organization. And so you can begin with doorway three, visual displays, production control boards for supervisors, planners, and engineers. But for the most part, in my experience, since I developed the model in the 1990s and even before, we typically begin with the visual wear, visual inventiveness, this elevated form of 5S, because usually the operator level is the weakest link. And until that becomes powerful and stable, you really can't make much progress in the other areas. There's too many um, aberrant factors. There's too many variables colliding together. You need to have a strong, clear establishment of the visual wear. We almost always begin, both our assessment shows it and our implementation plan, with doorway one, with operator-led visuality. We do that in healthcare. We do it in factories. We do it in the offices. And then the second kind of most popular doorway is doorway number three, visual displays, production control boards. But there have been times, in fact, most recently in the last two years, where we began an implementation with doorway number four, the executive doorway, the leadership doorway, where the leader said, I want to get clear first. I know I want to go in this direction. Help me see and help me embed visually what I see and what I want. Help me make visual the why. And that's really the purpose of doorway number four for the executives. So I just wanted to give you that so that you understand as we move through the rest of these doorways that the numbers do not require 
they are not ordinal. They are simply ways of identifying the doorways. But I'll rapidly say after that that the first six doorways, and we'll cover five and six, I believe, today, the first six doorways are really the fundamentals of visuality. What happens in doorway number seven is that you take the first six categories of visual function or methodologies and you apply them to the machine. If you're an asset-based company, then the machine becomes the regulator or the governance of the production floor of your operational system. We apply those six categories of function and make sure that those visual functions are in place in order to amplify and uh, maximize the utilization of your machines. So the first six doorways are special. Seventh doorway, doorway, we change the venue and it becomes the machine. And in doorway number eight, we change the venue and it becomes the office. And anyway, that's the way it goes. All right. All right. Let us move on to doorway number five. Doorway number five is visual controls, visual pull systems. So when we are in doorway number five, what we're doing is we are controlling behavior through a physical structure. The physical sizing of the material's footprint, for example, captured in a bin size or in visual floor footprints. The control principle is primary in doorway number five, the limitations that regulate the physical lim- limitations that regulate size, number, volume, range, and other quantifiable values. <clears throat> That's what we're doing in Dory number five. We are controlling the consumption of material and the placement of material. This is quantity based core questions of how many, how much, when, and how long. Typically, this is what your device does. The first part of doorway number five, in advance of pull, is this control of the physical limits. Visual controls have a particular definition and application. They are a type of visual control, uh, sorry, they are a type of visual device And we call it a visual control because that's what it does. It doesn't just share information. It puts the power of limits in place. Okay? So uh, I'm I'm having a, a small footnote here to say to you, not all visual devices are visual controls. On the contrary, a visual control speaks to the power of the visual device to limit, guide, or control our behavior or the behavior of machine, the consumption of material, okay? We'll go over the four power levels at a different stage. I mentioned them during our very first show when I was talking about the visual workplace, the definition, letting the workplace speak. But they deserve greater attention. We'll get to them. So there's these are different ways of slicing the onion. This 10-doorway model is one way to look at Visual information sharing, the four power levels is another way to look at them because this is a language and we have different approaches to language so that we can use it very widely. So the structure that is explicit in a visual control constantly provides the exact information 
that people need to continue to add value, whatever that value may be. Okay? Increasingly, visual controls outdistance the grosser form of the grosser forms of visual information sharing, such as we find in borders and addresses and ID labels when we talk about the placement or location of material. The visual wear, that's doorway number one, may form the foundation of workplace visuality, but it's visual controls that drive precision into performance. Okay? And because the margin of personal choice becomes so narrow in visual controls, visual controls require little or no interpretation. The device itself is the message. Okay? This is helping people do ordinary things extraordinarily well by controlling their behavior. For example, uh, a min-max level. The min-max level is there to give us a clear indication of how much material we need in order to do our work. And when we're getting dangerously close to running out, where our work will stop because the minimal level, the minimal level has not, is no longer there. I remember uh, at Seton Nameplate many years ago, uh, this is a catalog company in Connecticut. They had really, really wonderful visual devices and visual controls. We worked with them for a couple of years. And they had a really nice visual safety control that sent a clear message. And it was about uh, the height at which recycled cardboard should be stacked before it became too high. And they simply put a six-foot mark on the on the wall. There was a limit on the wall, and it said, here and no further. And that's all there was, but it was very, very useful for people to use as a guide for their own behavior. It was remarkably effective for being simply an indication of a limit. That is the power of a visual control. If you... See members of your workforce arrive at high-level solutions on their own. Don't be fooled. This is not brainstorming. They're using the principles, in this case, of controlling behavior by controlling the physical limits. So this is a thinking process, not just a good idea. I want to talk about, before we move on to visual pull systems, which is a way of capitalizing on the controls you put into place in order to build in time as a pull, time as a component. Um, I want to talk a little bit about another way to strengthen this control idea that we see in doorway number five by something that is called design to task. It is a splendid way of amplifying the visual control principle. And design to task means physically co-locating different items, different functions needed for a specific task or operation in a single location, co-locating. For example, you simply gather the tools needed for a particular assembly operation in a specific bin or a specific container, a drawer, uh, a drawer, a shelf, a cart, cabinet. You designate a home for each item. You put the items in their homes and presto changeo, you can tell at a glance if everything you need to start and complete an assembly task, for example, is in place, even if the task takes hours or days. 
If you try to insert an extra item that doesn't belong, well, it simply won't fit. So the structure of design to task is its own limitation. The whole idea is to design the space and everything in it around a given task, design to task. And this principle of design to task can be applied to every work environment, not just preset tools, but also preset components and the whole array, the whole array that governs the delivery of value in overhaul depots, in healthcare, in manufacturing assembly. Okay. This design to task was actually developed in aerospace. I was working with Lockheed Martin when this came to the fore. It was around 1998, just when Lockheed was challenging for the joint strike fighter contract against Boeing. And they brought design to task to an optimum level. They created not just a design to task delivery of tools, but also of parts, and then they combine the two. They put the parts and the special tools in the same delivery. This was stiff foam, the same delivery box, and um, placed it on a gravity feed shelf, and the rest is history. They, of course, won the contract, and it was because their operational system was superior. I remember that Boeing asked to uh, sit in on one of my seminars at It was a public seminar at Lockheed, and I said, you know, I'll ask, but I'm sure that Lockheed will say no, because you're competing for the same contract. Their operational system will be exposed, and I asked the folks at at Lockheed, and they said, yeah, of course, invite them. No problem. They'll never catch us. (laughs) It It wasn't arrogance. It was simply knowing that they really were in control of their quarter of the world, and they were really hot stuff. They were cowboys, <laughs> and they knew how to ride that pony, and they won. They're wonderful, wonderful work. So the the control element of Doorway 5 has to do with physical limits that require, that restrict the amount of choices you can have. It really does govern the SOP. It governs the utilization of material. The consumption of material is the most frequent application. So that's the base level of Doorway 5, which is a great doorway for supervisors, engineers, planners, and, of course, for material handlers. This is one of the doorways where the operations level, the operator level, the hourly level is joined with the engineering level in order to create this uh, control function. In the higher level of Doorway 5, we have visual pull systems. So let me just draw out to you why this is the same doorway. Perhaps you got it immediately. Visual controls, these devices use structure, size, volume, number to share information. And the result is we perform our work more safely and with greater precision with little or no additional thought. The behavior is built in. These devices become even more powerful when they are linked with associated operations that flow. So it's not just material storage and material handling, but it is material scheduling. And when they're linked, they trigger a chain of responses, if you will, or behaviors that create economies 
in all operational functions. This is what I call visual pull, a visual pull system. It's a very designed set of tasks. So the min-max levels are controlling the uh, consumption of material and also the location of material. But when we amplify that, we get to Kanban. We get to Kanban, highly repetitive operations. Kanban is more sophisticated than just controlling the material because there's an element of pull, of flow, of time. Okay? This time, the control element links with the demands of the critical path. In the language of lean, the value stream, the critical path. Working together, visual information sharing and lean, the tools of lean, create a framework for an accelerated flow that can be controlled at will. It isn't just an accelerated flow, but it has to be controlled at will by tact. At the drum beat, the pleasure, the pull of the customer, tact, T-A-K-T, the drum beat. This is the lofty goal and an attainable one, no matter what the industry, that visuality allows. So it's a beautiful marriage of lean and visual. I've mentioned this to you before. For me, the alliance between lean and visual is the same alliance as the two wings of a bird. Which wing is more important? Well, the bird will demonstrate that answer by flying off and using both his wings because he needs both of them to reach the destination. That's the nature of this visual pull system. Kanban itself refers to, as you know, a physical card or a ticket that visually signals the need for replenishment or delivery or removal of material, whip, finished goods. But since the the operations downstream actually create the pull, create that vacuum. This operation becomes dynamic. It begins to govern itself. It not only flows, but it paces itself. Okay? And because visual is so effective, so efficient, so, if you will, efficacious, These devices, the visual components of the Kanban pull, rarely disappear entirely as an operational link. As the speed increases, the footprint shrinks, but the visual is there to govern so that you can change the pace. Okay? In mixed model environments, demand flow devices often give way to an even speedier system, which is called hijunka. And hijunka, which many of you are familiar with, is a way of scheduling demand and smoothing out or managing the order fluctuations that are linked to variety, batch size, timing, and sequence. I kind of don't want to get too much into detail because I don't want to lose the members of our audience that are simply interested in knowing how the 10-doorway um, model works. But the hijunka, which is a, a Japanese word, it's spelled H-E-I-J-U-N-K-A, hijunka. It's a Japanese word that means make it flat and make it level. And it is a special mechanism that segments the total volume of orders into scheduling intervals. So this is the visual control of doorway number five is so that your schedule 
does become fixed and firm, that you set it and you manipulate it based on your own decisions and not on the variables that create what are called problems. Okay? So this is truly a smoothing out. The the marriage of uh, Kanban and Hijunka, this kind of a marriage is really available to any company. And this can be healthcare as well as secretarial agencies, certainly um, manufacturing. Uh, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole and I will save a really good example of a visual pull system that I think uh, is widely applicable for uh, when we go down that rabbit hole. But right now I, I want to kind of close the doorway, if you will, on doorway number five so that you get what its particular function is. We're not talking about the visual wear. We're not talking about Dory number one, nor are we directly talking about the schedule, such as we see in production control boards, but we're talking about the material itself and the consumption, and when we use the material, it creates a vacuum, and that vacuum we can control. We can pace it. That is the purpose of visual pull systems and its fundamental building block, which is the physical control of the material. I love visual pull systems. They're pretty much synonymous to JIT, just in time. They are what lean used to be, which is a predetermined engineering change instead of an alphabet soup that you can um, kind of string together to make make into, I don't know what you call it. <sighs> if I say mishmash, I'm going to get a lot of unhappy emails. Well, if you want to send them, send them to radio at visualworkplace.com and we will read them and I will certainly reply. So so that's doorway number five. It's very, very important, but we're now in the heart of the making part, the value-add part. We're not just creating the environment for it, but this is the pace of adding value. Let us leave Doorway number five, which is owned by engineers, material handlers, planners, and supervisors. And let us move to doorway number six, which is our quality doorway. In workplace visuality and in this model of the 10 doorways, the most refined form of information sharing is captured in visual guarantees. You may know them as Pokey yoke devices, mistake-proofing devices, fail-safe devices, visual guarantees. And I wanted to keep the visual language, so I'm calling them arbitrarily visual guarantees. Visual guarantees are highly effective in accomplishing the goal of all workplace visuality, reliably and repeatedly helping us do the right thing or avoid doing the wrong thing in every workplace Situation In short, the goal is perfect performance, perfect execution. As with all aspects of the visual workplace, visual guarantees are a part of the universal language of your operations. They work with supreme power, with supreme effectiveness in any and every workplace setting, from assembly to machining, from discrete to continuous, from hospitals to offices, across all industries in every work venue. 
we've been approached very recently to do a rollout, of course, beginning with a pilot of uh, Do No Harm, Pokey Oak for Healthcare. I believe there's either 23 or 21 hospital sites involved. And we're very, very pleased with this because we know that a thorough application of visual guarantees, thoroughly done, will create a highly risk-free and predictable healthcare environment. It is the answer to every possible aberration of quality, including human error. The, the answer is on the level of the attribute. So let me go into it a little bit more. Guarantees fall into distinct categories or types depending on the degree to which each device, this is the dependency, each visual guarantee or each visual device is able to ensure, guarantee a performance outcome. When we look closer at that, we understand that guarantees are visual answers, but they're, on a, they're answers on a very refined level, on the level of an attribute. A visual guarantee, a Pokeyoke device, translates the minute operational detail into the process of work itself. Actual devices range from highly imaginative mechanical apparatus to sensors, predictable sensors, and limit switches. All of them are highly functional. Certainly think of the gas pumps at your local, uh, your local service station. The pump is covered with an array of visual information sharing devices showing you the type of gas, the price, the octane, credit cards accepted, and where to and how to insert it. Only those credit cards, only one way, only one way. Hmm? On another, another example, very specific action, when we lift the pump from its seat and begin the f- filling process, those informational details disappear and their meaning becomes one with a single performance. We fill the tank. Okay? We fill the tank. The design of the nozzle makes it structurally impossible to reseat the nozzle incorrectly. Short of not replacing it at all, there is only one way it fits, and that is the right way. It's visually guaranteed. Whether you've been driving for 30 years or <laughs> and are used to pumping your own gas or you just get your driver's license, you're going to put that gas handle back properly. You have no choice, and neither do I. That is the nature of a visual guarantee. I like the work that has been done over the last 20 or 30 years in mistake-proofing, but I feel that it doesn't really go far enough. It doesn't give you a methodology, a methodology of thinking. The owner of Doorway 6 visual guarantees, it's got to be your engineers. It's got to be your quality function. It's got to be those associates including your engineers, who actually develop the design of your product and your process. Working together, your quality techs and your operators and your engineers, they will be able to hunt down the motion that the information deficits of your design trigger and develop great mistake-proof devices. 
Visual thinking is part and parcel of your quality assurance plan. And the systematic implementation of visual guarantees, which typically happens later in a visual rollout or visual conversion, really is the robust deployment of the attributes in a visual format. And, you know, we were talking before at the beginning of our show today about what is the sequencing. The sequencing basis is based, the sequencing of opening the doorways is based on where what your need is. And if your company is hemorrhaging from quality problems, you don't wait to implement visual guarantees until a visual cultural foundation is in place. You do it right away. You hop on the elevator and you take it to the top of the stack You go right to doorway number six and you attack your quality problems with the fierceness that threats to your company's survival warrant. In the absence of threatening conditions, you can pace visual visual guarantees later on after you have the visual wear in place. But these guarantees are powerful and they are the result of thinking. And, you know, as with all visual implementations, and I think this is pretty much true for Lean as well, creating visual guarantees is an iterative process. You do it once, and you see if you get the outcome, and if you don't, you then create a more powerful device. My sensei for the last eight years of his life was Shigeo Shingo. And and he handed me zero quality controls, source inspection, and the Pokeyoke systems. He handed that to me somewhere around 1985, 86, and said, please turn this into something that the West can understand and use. And so I developed a Pokeyoke system that I, I think was very, I think is very, very valid extension of his work so that there's a typology or a framework of thinking and you can visit and revisit the possibility of control, of absolute control, again and again. Currently, we are in a wonderful alliance with Dr. Martin Hinckley, who wrote uh, Make No Mistake. And we spent about three years developing a kind of combined system, mostly, I have to say, mostly based on his work, because he would not bend to mine (laughs) or Shingo's, but he has a very, very strong methodology that I think is the best on the planet. Very highly developed with a huge amount of examples and a methodology that will create these outcomes through the thinking process. The uh, online system is available through our website, visualworkplace.com, and we certainly would be happy to engage in a conversation with you. So, The visual guarantees that we're talking about is the culmination. This is the culmination of the information sharing that began with uh, doorway number one. We are now on the level of attributes. It is the final of the six methods that are central to a visual conversion of the enterprise that's represented in the 10 doorway model. I have about 20 minutes left, and I'm going to see if I can touch on the other doorways enough to give you a sense of how they fit, so that maybe today we will round out um, our walk through our scan of 
the 10 doorway model for creating a workforce of visual thinkers. So let me move on to the next doorway. We just did doorway number five, which is visual controls, visual pull systems. Doorway number six, which is your quality doorway, visual guarantees, Pokeyoke devices. And now we're going to apply the first six doorways to the machine. Kaboom. Even though (laughs) machines represent a company's most expensive asset, usually that's true, they are often taken for granted. It goes something, the logic goes something like this. Machines work, and when they don't work, call maintenance. It can't be helped. Machines break down, and that's all there is to it. So these notions, these similar notions, also apply to the time that it takes to do changeover and set up equipment. But the visual machine, which is the name of doorway number seven, is focused on surfacing the information that really gives us capability and control, CPK and control over the capacity that we call the machine. The exact starting point may vary. If you're faced with long changeovers, then start working on your changeovers and get them down to 10 minutes or less. If you are working on machine downtime related to um, quality errors, then you bring in some you bring in your attribute-based Pokeyoke systems. Machinery and visuality are a perfect fit. You can shrink changeover times by implementing most, if not all, of the six core methods, the previous six doorways. But you begin with visual order. You begin with the machine, with the visual wear, and you work your way from there. When you begin with the visual wear, you go out in ripples as the machine moves through its various stages as the material that the machine is dealing with moves through its various stages of use. Maintenance owns doorway number seven. Just as quality assurance owns visual guarantees, maintenance takes on a leadership role in the drive to make the machine speak. We know that 60 to 70%, for example, here's another huge opportunity for visuality and the machine 60 to 70% of all machine breakdowns are caused by mistakes in lubrication, primarily due to information deficits and, yes, human error. This is a daunting task for maintenance. And it can, if the workload is huge, it can be demoralizing. When machine conditions are bad, everyone seems to be against the maintenance crew. And at the same time, maintenance finds that they have to fight for everything, for parts, for tools, for resources, time, you name it. And they fight with everyone, sometimes even the operators, whom they, who <laughs> seems to them operators are more skilled at causing breakdowns and preventing them. And it really is a, a, a jumble of cultural and capability factors. So you give the ownership of the machine to maintenance and you let the machine, uh, I beg your pardon, you let the maintenance staff take on the teaching, the training of visuality and the machine, the match marks, the color-coded lube tags, 
the see-through faces on temperature and speed and pressure gauges, the safety indicators, the color-coded material and placement of materials, the calibration of your tooling, all of this. In a world without visual devices and visual mini-systems related to the machine, operators and the maintenance staff are forced to rely on memory or trial and error, which costs a lot, in order to fill up to fill in for information deficits. Okay? So you let the machine speak. That's the purpose of doorway number seven, to let the machine speak, to reveal its voice, to give it a voice. That's doorway number seven, and it's glorious. And, you know, maintenance people look like heroes because they become heroes. They become teachers and trainers and instructors and mentors and your machine function sings. It's not only speaks, it sings. Let's move on to doorway number eight. Doorway number eight is the visual lean office. So we are now combining flow and information. I should say pull the critical path and information in doorway number eight. Implementations in the office are not the same as on the shop floor. There are a lot of variables that are importantly different. People, for example, in offices, unlike the shop floor, are accustomed to working in groups, tight, working in groups and owning their own work. They are used to being self-supervising. They are also used to protecting their own territory, (laughs) their kingdoms. It's different in offices. Let me say it this way. I maybe misspoke. What is different about implementations in offices is the cultural aspect, but the principles and practices of visuality, the fact that it is eye-driven and it is about embedding information and putting a language in place for the offices is identical. The cultural parameters are different. So we're going to be combining flow and pull along with information sharing. Office personnel are as eager as anyone to self-solve their problems. And the vast majority of office personnel, including in hospitals, demonstrate a keen interest in studying and understanding visual devices, even from manufacturing settings. Wisely, they do not insist upon seeing examples only from their own work environment from offices. The eight building blocks that we discussed in our second and third show apply to offices as well. We create a workplace that speaks in offices through good visual thinking, through the principles and practices that we've been discussing. So that is doorway number eight, focusing on the office as an informational landscape and also a pull landscape. That's doorway number eight. Doorway number nine and doorway number 10, they're pretty much they're not so much a group, doorway, not, doorways 9 and 10 are not so much a group of specific visual methods as much as a way of linking up the organization. Doorway number 9, the macro visual environment. As a visual workplace initiative gathers speed, management will face many micro decisions that, when you add them up, can have a large impact on the company's macro environment. That's the purpose of doorway number 9. 
the main goal of the visual macro team, doorway number nine is the visual macro environment, is to identify, standardize, and institute visual mechanisms on a macro or linking level. That team, a group of ACE visual thinkers, is responsible for visual linkages between functions, between departments. They do troubleshooting, and they do problem solving. That's their purpose. Their purpose is to make sure that visual visuality goes deep. Whether your workforce is 2,000 people or 20, every company needs a visual macro team. The macro team needs to initiate at the start of the rollout, usually within the first two or three months, and then set up a protocol for paying attention to the linking problems and the project-based problems that can be solved through visuality. So this is a team that's involved from the very beginning with, for example, door number one and then throughout the entire implementation. That's doorway number nine. It's called the visual macro environment, the visual macro team. Doorway 10, the visual enterprise, is about opening up a comprehensive visual conversion process that continues to promote and reward visual inventiveness, continues to build individual and team leadership, and continues to achieve excellent bottom line results. This is not a cookie cutter approach. It is approach, an approach that is based on principles, a powerful framework of principle-based, if you will, exams or audits that build enterprise coherency and alignment. I kind of can't get into more, more detail than that, except to say that it comes later Doorway number 10 comes later in the visual conversion process. Let me add a little bit more about that. The central mechanism is an exam. It's not exactly an audit. It isn't closed-ended. It isn't about compliance. It is about the application of principles. Uh, For example we might assess in an exam, the, in, in, in a uh, doorway 10 exam, the extent to which uh, certain visual placement principles are in place. Store things, not air. Use the existing architecture. Sort the universe, point of use. We assess the extent to which these principles are in place and the opportunity for them to go further. The exam is given on a regular basis. It can be twice yearly, probably not, usually not more than twice yearly. And it is also given with an action list or a to-do list. Accomplish this and increase your score on the exam. And it's usually done on a departmental level. So it's by department. It's a kind of certification process where you're certifying departments on their level of visuality, on their level of implementation of principles, on their execution of principles so that they are really the drivers 
or the clarifiers of the visual landscape. These principles are principles of seeing, principles of telling the difference merely by looking, principles of placement, principles of power. To what extent is the language of the operations embedded into the living landscape of work? Let us ask ourselves this question through the exam and let us score. Join us, won't you? We say to the department, do your own scoring. See where you land in your own estimation based against this, this set of this framework of principles. And let's move forward and stabilize and also invent. So Dory number 10 is a culmination. We developed this about 15 years ago when Sears asked us to help them with their 60 centers of um, home repair. And they wanted a way to tie them together, these 60 centers, about 8,000 people. All of them were... um, based in a truck, if you will. The company was a truck. I should walk you through that case study soon. It was very, very interesting from a leadership level and also from uh, an impact level. And in doing that, in trying to find this common language, we came up with this format of principle-based exams that the operators of the trucks, they were called technicians, they did a lot of home repair, um, the appliances that people bought at Sears, helping people get longer life out of their their purchase. And they governed themselves through this. It was very, very successful. Dory number 10 becomes relevant when you're trying to, when your focus is on building a common language and tying the entire enterprise together, recognizing that visuality is a language. So that kind of completes with that comment. That completes our walk through the 10 doorways to give you a sense of how we segment the language of visuality, or if you will, the functionality of visuality by department and by method. Otherwise, without this kind of a model, what I discovered is that people were just thinking about visuality as devices, and all they wanted to do was think about their next device. They wanted ideas. They wanted to visit other companies so that they could, so to speak, steal, borrow, plagiarize, whatever they called it, copy someone else's devices. And I found that to be very ineffective in the long run that what was much more important for the company is to build the system of thinking built on the ten, the eight building blocks that we discussed several months ago, the eight building blocks of visual thinking. And the doorway, the doorways is a model that then assigns particular methods to particular groups. They find their voice. They create a layer of visual information sharing that is just right for them to be able to achieve the goals that are given to their organizational level. Leadership, problem solving, measurement systems for senior executives and their direct reports through doorway number four, scheduling and the control of the schedule, doorway number three, visual displays, production control boards, quality, Pokeyoak systems, visual guarantees, doorway number six, Pull systems and the control and consumption of material, doorway number five. 
the visual wear, doorway number one, to segment these methodologies so people could really own the outcome and have a pathway to achieve it. That's what I was interested in. That's what I am interested in. I'm interested in giving the operations, the company, a way to find the language that they need in order to be successful at their own work by sharing information, by surfacing information in a timely, complete, and accurate manner so that that information becomes part of the process itself. That's the purpose of the 10 doorways. So I hope that you have benefited or at least uh, been interested in this discussion that has gone on for several, several, several shows. And I'm anxious to now share some some more um, pieces. Some of the things I have in mind is to talk to you about the Visual Lean Alliance and also get into um, the leadership aspects and also the planning aspects and all the other components that will spin out from the competencies that the 10 doorway model represents. I think that's pretty good. And I think that'll do it for today. I want to thank you very, very much for listening. You can reach me at radio at visualworkplace.com. Our website is visualworkplace.com. There are lots of articles there and there are podcasts from this show that you can listen to and I hope benefit from. So, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. You're at Visual Workplace Radio, and I'm going to say uh, goodbye until the next time. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.